Please take your Bibles and let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read verse 14 before the message. We'll have a word of prayer as we read this verse of Scripture. We're continuing our series, of course, in the book of Daniel. Of course, the book of Daniel, our theme for the book of Daniel is God's sovereign rule over human history. God is ruling in the kingdom of men. Don't forget it. We're seeing this play out in our own nation through the presidents that we have had throughout our whole lifetime to this present moment. God is ruling over all things. And he has an ultimate plan in our nation and in all the nations of the world. And think of this. God puts kings so that we will know that he's the one who's the real king. Daniel 4.17. The message, how to stand when everyone bows. We started this message two weeks ago. Just dealt with the first point. Today we'll do our best to finish this message. Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. And let's stand together as we read this verse and have a word of prayer. And if you'd like to read it out loud, you can read it out loud with me. Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. So thank you, Lord, for your word, for the challenge that we receive from you, dear God, even from this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the faithfulness of these three young men living far away from home, far from the authority of their own parents that they grew up with. But, Lord, under your authority, doing right, help us always to realize we live in your presence. We live for your glory. We live for your kingdom. We live to please you. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you would remove and remove from our hearts any pharisaical spirit, remove judgmentalism, that we would not just come here today and look good from the outside, but, Lord, that you would clean us up from the inside by your Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts, that we would not bow to the ways, to the gods of this world, but we would stand for you and be a witness for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How to stand when everyone bows. In China, there was a boxer rebellion, it was called, in 1899 to 1900. It was called the Boxer Rebellion because the ones who were leading in this rebellion were martial artists, and they called their work or their martial art in China at the time boxing. They saw themselves as undefeatable. They saw themselves as being powerful to withstand bullets, almost like Superman could do. This Boxer Rebellion was a movement of the nationalist Chinese at this time to remove any Western influence out of China. Of course, Christianity was viewed as West, part of that Western influence. So it was the campaign of terror against foreign government officials, Christian missionaries, as well as the Chinese Christians who had believed on the God of our Bible. So it was an anti-Christian uprising. It was an anti-foreign uprising. Christianity, as I said, was viewed as a Western foreign religion. So these boxers 
sought to destroy property and kill many Christians and Christian missions in the meantime. I just read, uh, in fact, Hudson Taylor. It was right at, this happened right at the end of his life. And he had just come back from a trip in China where he went throughout the areas where his missionaries, he had over 600 missionaries in China through the China, China Inland Mission at the end of his life. And many of his missionaries were killed as well as believers were killed through this boxer rebellion. And Taylor himself said at that time when he heard of the devastation, he said, I cannot read, I cannot think, I cannot pray, but I can trust. That was Taylor's response. But in one of these instances, and it was in this book that you see up here on the screen, a book called Massacre in Shanxi, it is written that these boxers surrounded a Christian mission. They cut off any exits from the compound except one. A cross was put in the dirt in the, in the open gate, the only exit out of this compound. They put a cross in the dirt, and they said, if you want to be spared from death, you must leave the compound and trample the cross if you want to live. The first seven people out of the compound did that. They trampled the cross, and they were spared. But then the eighth person came out, a young girl. She approached the cross on the, on the ground, and she knelt. She prayed to God for strength, and she was shot to death. And then the 92 remaining students out of that compound, getting strength from her courage, also did the same. And they were all killed. God is God. He could have saved them from that. He could have saved them through that. But he chose not to. In the story that we've read today, God could have saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire, but he didn't. He decided in his power to save them through the fire. God is God. So let's consider today how to stand like that young girl when others are bowing. How to stand like these three young men. We looked at this, as I mentioned, a couple weeks ago. And just to review quickly, because it's important that we get the overall message that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. You know the story, right? He sets up this golden image. What does this golden image represent? Remember, this comes right after Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream of an image, and he was the head of gold. But when he makes the golden image, he's actually defiantly standing against God's plan for the future. And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, the head of gold is the whole image of gold, and my kingdom will stand forever. And so Nebuchadnezzar is destroyed distorting God's view of history and defiantly standing against what God had said would, would happen, that there will be other kingdoms after him. And now Nebuchadnezzar is commanding everyone to bow to his idol, which is an idol of deception. It represents his view of history, of the future. His view of the coming kingdoms and if people do not stay uh, do not bow to his distorted defiant view they'll be canceled they'll be thrown into the fire they'll be killed 
so he commands everyone. But of course, he comes face to face with three young men. And we don't know where Daniel is, but he's not here. He's maybe on a mission of the king, but he's not here at all. But Nebuchadnezzar comes face to face with these three young men, and their names are given multiple times. You know, their names are mentioned in the text. It's the Babylonian names, and mark that. Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. And we know that they would not bow because they had no bend in them. They had no budge in them because they had what in them? A brave belief in their God. And the point of this story, and this, uh, this applies to us, doesn't it? Isn't it? It's what's going on today in our own nation. With different idols and maybe different kings, different leaders, but the threat is upon us to bow. And really, in every generation, men erect their idols. And they expect, they just think it's normal or natural for everybody to bow to their distorted views, to their defiant beliefs against God. So whether it was Baal back in Israel in this day, or whether it was this idol in Babylon, or whether it's in China when those People had to leave their compound, or whether it's in the United States of America, the threat to bow to the gods of culture are always going to threaten the people of God. So we have to stand, even when everyone bows. So how do we do that? How do we stand when everyone bows? We have to understand three things, and we said last time in the message, we have to what? We have to live under pressure. So in this world there will always be what? There will you will ha- there will always be a pressure for you to go along and bow what we often what we often hear it this way political correctness to bow to the views of political correctness what is acceptable in society. And we have to live under the pressure that sometimes political leaders put upon us. Sometimes the pressure of just going along to get along. Everybody else is doing it. Why be so different? Why be an oddball? I mean, these guys are oddballs, right? Talk about standing out in a crowd, three heads poking up. The mood-setting music. Go along. Hear the music. Be fascinated by the flutes. And bow when you hear that sound. The fear of death will make many bow. Who wants to die? Who thinks they can live through the fire? Ah, the accusations of slander. Those are the pressures that we have to live under. Are you willing to endure those pressures to stand? We have to live under pressure. So let's continue now to the next point. We have to live by principle. We have to live by the principle. When I say live by principle, I'm talking about the principles of what? Of the Bible, of the Word of God, the commands of Scripture, the wisdom that never changes. So I ask you this question. What do you use to make decisions ultimately? How do we make decisions in this life? There's a lot of difficult decisions to make. 
we have to pray. But as we pray, we have to be guided by the Word of God. Amen? We have to be guided by Scripture. We must make decisions based on a deep inner conviction, based upon a faith in the Word of God that will not be shaken. There's an old maxim that says methods are many, principles are few. Methods may change, principles never do. I mentioned political correctness. The political correctness, what, what culture deems as acceptable, changes. What's right today could be wrong tomorrow. What's wrong today could be right tomorrow. But we have to hold our ground. When we're standing on the Word of God, we know we're always right to the one who matters, to the one who sees us, to the one to whom we'll have to answer, to the Lord. Always stand out for the principles of God's Word. Be guided with a deep inner conviction of truth. And live by the unchanging precepts that are settled in stone, that are written in heaven, that are inspired of God, that never change. You see, God's principles will outlive and overrule the words of men. Every time. God's word will outlive the words of men. Amen? Man's words come and go. People want us to bow today and say abortion is accepted. That's that when I say political correctness, that's one of the key dogmas of American political correctness. But we say no. Life begins at conception. And that's because it says it in the Bible and it never changes. So God's word outlives and God's principles overrule any human command. The amazing thing about these three young men, is if they disobeyed this one act, how long would it have taken? How long would it have taken them? The music plays, bow with everybody else, how long will it last? I don't know. Let's just say 15 minutes. Maybe it was 20. I don't know. But it wasn't that long. It wasn't for a week, right? We can agree they wouldn't have been on their knees for a week. It would be a short time. That's easy to rationalize. They could say, you know, just bow. Everybody else, don't be weird. It'll be over in 15 minutes. And then when I get back up, I'll go back to my real faith. I'll just pretend for them. I'll just do. But if they bowed with everybody else, and in a sense, given that impression that they were worshiping that idol, you know what they would have been doing? How many commands would they have broken in that one 10-minute act? The first three. The first three of the Ten Commandments, they would have broken. So they knew that they could not do it. They were going to stand on the principles of God's Word. So there's three things to understand here. To live by principle. If we're going to live by principle, prepare for this. You will be what? What does it say? You're going to be misunderstood. And when I say misunderstood, you could be accused. You could be slandered. You will be misunderstood. And we get this in verse 12 especially. What do they say of Nebuchadnezzar? If you don't bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image, what are you doing toward Nebuchadnezzar? You are not showing what for him? Verse 12, not showing what? Regard for him. As if you are rejecting him as a person. You are insulting him. You are personally rejecting and showing, you're going to show Nebuchadnezzar that he doesn't matter. His life doesn't matter if you don't bow to his image. Is that true? 
That the opposite was true. Actually, because his life mattered, they wouldn't bow. And it's actually going to lead, I personally believe, to Nebuchadnezzar's salvation in the next chapter. And even at the end of this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, <laughs> their God is the true God. If they had bowed, he never would have known that. So you, we lose our testimony. We lose our witness. We lose our, as the verse says, our, we must endure all things for the sake of the elect. So they were enduring. Now, when we don't bow to their idols, people might think we're not regarding them as a person, but that's not true. And they might even manipulate us with that. Like, you don't love me. You don't care about me. Why don't you do that? Well, you know, they manipulate. And then they also manipulate us with what? What? How does Nebuchadnezzar react when they don't bow? Is he like, okay, I'm okay with that. What's his reaction in verse 13? What's a manipulator in verse 13? What do people use to manipulate other people with? What do they do? Oh, right? Isn't that true? You ever try to manipulate somebody with anger? Common form of manipulation. But Nebuchadnezzar, you know, when you and I do not bow to the idols of this world, they will get angry. They will go on riotous rampages, as we're seeing, even today. Furious rage. They'll say, we're the crazy one. I read the story of a man from India. His name was Ganesh Kumar. His name Ganesh is actually the name of an Indian, one of the Hindu gods of an of a elephant head. And Ganesh's parents were both very strong Hindus. His mother would tell people's futures. And they had in their home even a, a like a, a little Hindu idols and they would have uh, Hindu rituals and services three times a year conducted in their home. And then there was a Hindu temple down the street. And when the drums beat in that temple and the people ran to the temple to dance and they would cook the sweet rice uh, at the temple, Ganesh's mother would go and she would tell people's fortunes. And another thing she would do is she would reach into the pot of boiling rice with her hand, and she wouldn't get burned. And she would take the rice out of the pot and feed it to other people. And they thought it was special because she could put her hand into the boiling water and not have her hand burned. And then when they took the rice from her, their hands would burn. Lying wonder of the devil. Ganesha's father, meanwhile, was a Hindu terrorist. He would attack and beat Christians sharing the gospel. Well, when Ganesh was a boy, though, his grandmother brought him to church, and he heard some of the great stories of the scripture. And he said, I want to believe in Jesus. But, of course, he was afraid. But in his heart, as a boy, he did. He, he believed in his heart. Later on, as he began to grow, his mother had a stomach ailment. That wouldn't go away. And she prayed to the Hindu gods to heal her, but healing didn't come. And so Ganesh says, why don't we go to church? And maybe Jesus will heal you. And so sure enough, she went to the church with Ganesh. 
and the Lord healed her, and she became a Christian too with Ganesh, and they began following the Lord, but Ganesh's father was very upset, and he was cursing them out, and of course, in a rage, like Nebuchadnezzar, but they prayed for him, and finally, you know what? He went to church too, and got saved, and then people beat him up, and terrorized him for sharing the gospel. He says, well, I used to beat others up for believing in Jesus. Now it's my turn. Oh, may God do that in our life. May God do things like, that's a real story. And I read it from a Baptist missionary, by the way. Prepare to be misunderstood. Number two, prepare for your God and your faith in him to be attacked. When you and I do not bow to the ways of this world, they will attack you, your faith, and our God. That's what, they, that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. Look at verse 14. And if you have a Bible, a good old paper Bible, I think you should underline those three words in verse 14. Is it true? Because that's what Nebuchadnezzar confronts them with and attacks them. Is it true? And he uses their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do not you serve my gods? And worship the golden image with which I have set up? That's the question people are going to ask us. Is it true? Maybe they don't know you're a Christian and they find out. Is it true? You believe in Jesus Christ? You mean, is it true? You believe he shed his blood on the cross? Why would that be important? Is that true? They're going to find out you came to church, this little church on the 13th floor <laughs> during a pandemic. Where the windows are shut. Oh, no. Is it true? You go to church? What are you, nuts? Your church is in Manhattan and you live in New Jersey? Well, there, I go where there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's why, that's why people come from New Jersey. No, I'm just kidding. There's not much light at the end of the tunnel from New Jersey to New York. I don't know. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? Like, what's wrong with you? Praise God for you crazy people. Is it true? Think of that. Is it true you believe that the Bible's the Word of God? Actually, I read a whole sermon by Spurgeon. That was the title. I loved it. Is it true? That's burning words right there. Never gonna, is it true? Is it true you believe in creation? Oh, there was a big bang, though, and we evolved, and we were monkeys one day. Come on, everybody believes that. Bow! <laughs> is it true? But you know, these three young men said, it is true. Because Hananiah knew, though Nebuchadnezzar called him Shadrach, he knew his name was Hananiah. And Hananiah means, how do you like this nice chart here? Done by Eunice. Thank you, Eunice. Hananiah means what? The Lord is gracious. Did Hananiah need God's grace at this time in his life? Yes, how could he bow? He couldn't bow. I need God's grace and help. And I am not Shadrach, which means the command of Aku. I'm not born to obey Aku's command. I'm born to trust the grace of God. And Mishael knew he wasn't Meshach. Mishael and Meshach mean the same thing, but just two different gods. Mishael means who is like God. And Meshach is who is like Aku. God isn't like Aku because there's none like the Lord. 
Amen? So Mishael knew he wasn't Meshach. And he was born to worship God. And if there was ever a time that he wanted to worship God, it was now. Even if it meant going into that fiery furnace. And Azariah knew he was not Abednego. He was not born to serve, be a servant of Nebo, Nebuchadnezzar's gods. He was born to trust the help of the Lord. I like his name. Azariah means the Lord has help. Didn't they need God's help? <laughs> So at this time in their lives, more than ever, Hananiah needed to live out his name. The Lord is gracious. Mishael needed to live out his name. There's none like the Lord, and I'll worship him. And Azariah needed to live out his name. The Lord has helped, and he'll help me through it. Stand up for Jesus. This was the time for them to live out their true God-given identity in the Lord. You know, an amazing thing about this, too, is that in Daniel chapter 1, who led in them not eating the king's food? Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, who led in interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream and saving them? Daniel. Now we're in Daniel chapter 3. And where's Daniel? God has removed Daniel from their lives. Maybe the one who has mentored them. The one who has been a strength for them. The one who has been a counselor to them. The one who was more experienced even in doing certain things, more gifted than them. He was more gifted than them. Sometimes God moves, removes people from your life that you have used to lean upon maybe, but now he wants you to stand. Stand. Don't bow. This is the time for you to trust the Lord, and he is enough, even though a Daniel is not there for you any longer. I wonder what these young men thought. They probably somehow, maybe they remembered what they were taught as children. They had to have been taught well by their parents in their home. And they thought about the truth of God and who he was and how faithful he had been, even though they were in captivity. Again, I, we've kind of talked about this, but they maybe could have been angry at God. God, why am I, why is this happening? Why at this time, probably the temple in Jerusalem was burned to ashes. And Nebuchadnezzar believes without question his God is greater than their God. And so they might have thought, why is our temple burned? Why are we in captivity? But they had no bitterness, no anger, no resentment at God. And so they were strong in the Lord. So don't bow. Live by principle. As you live by the principles of Scripture, you will be misunderstood. God will be attacked. Stand to defend him. And number three, and with this, defend your faith. Learn to defend what you believe and why. Stand up for Jesus Christ. Open your mouth and let people know who you believe in. And don't be ashamed of the gospel. Amen? Our nation is in the place it is, I believe, because there are so many weak, so-called Christians. God knows the heart. There are so many Christians who are flimsy in their faith, who do not know how to defend what they believe, so they're just silent. Well, there's a time to be quiet, but there's a time to stand up. And Nebuchadnezzar is asking them a question. Is it true? Is it true you're not going to bow? And they answered in verse 16. There's a time to answer. It says, and they answered. 
And they said to the king, verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, what did they say? We are not careful to answer you in this matter. We're not careful. Now, the word careful here, sometimes it's hard to, like, go back and find the meanings of these words. You know why? Because, like, when you do word studies in the the Hebrew verses, there's many times they're used in different different passages. But this is in Aramaic. So when you, like, go back and, like, look up these words, they're only used, like, one time because because not much of the Bible is written in Aramaic. But anyway, when I think of that word careful, though, in the King James passage, I think of that Philippians 4, 6 verse where it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. What does the word careful mean there in that context of Philippians 4? Be careful for nothing. It means don't what? Don't worry or don't be anxious. So in that sense, I believe that that kind of fits here that these young men, he says, we are not anxious. We are not worried to answer you. There was no deliberation in their response. There was no hesitation, no deliberation or hesitation. It was a clear, plain, settled fact. They couldn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image. So they defend their faith. And in them, they made no denial. They didn't say, oh, we didn't do it. Oh, we didn't. No, they said, no, we did. We didn't bow because we couldn't. They didn't deny it. And they actually, they needed no time. Did they say, well, um, let's have a prayer meeting first and decide whether we should bow or not. Now, no doubt they prayed and asked God to protect them in their situation, but they didn't pray and say, Lord, should we bow? That will be like if you were dating somebody and say, Lord, should I commit fornication? You don't have to pray about that. You don't pray of whether you're going to sin or not. If you're married, you don't say, Lord, should I get divorced? No, don't pray that. Don't pray if you're married. Lord, do you want me to get divorced? He doesn't want you to get divorced. Amen. We don't pray about certain things. Lord, should I, if you want to marry somebody, you pray, Lord, do you want me to marry this young lady if you're a guy? But you don't pray, Lord, should I marry this guy if I'm a guy? You know, you don't pray about that. Don't pray for that because that's not the family. See, We're not politically correct. We don't bow to the idols of this world. This was not a difficult decision for these men. They didn't even have to ask each other. They knew from each other's character that they weren't going to bow. They needed no time to make a decision, and they made no apology for it. But lastly, I see in them a humility. There was a humility in them. There was no pride. In their response, it wasn't as if they were better than Nebuchadnezzar because they weren't. We're all sinners. And we're just sinners saved by grace when we know Jesus Christ. So they made no denial. They needed no time to pray about what to do. They made no apology. There was no pride. They were sincere and they were humble. Can I ask you this? Are you able to defend your faith? Are you able to stand up to someone and tell them why you, why you know for sure you're a child of God? Can you show them from the scripture? I'm not saying you have to give a, 
exegesis of verses from Genesis to Revelation, but do you know at least one or two or three verses from the Bible that you could say, I know for sure I'm saved because the Bible says this? Or can you defend? Are you, are you able to defend and stand and say, I believe in creation. I believe God has created me. I'm not here by an accident. I'm here by a direct act of Almighty God, and I'm here for a purpose. And and defend creation. Defend the Word of God. Are you able to say, what about the Bible? It has so many mistakes and errors in it. Oh, well, you know what? Here's how you defend that. Show me one. People who think there's so many mistakes in the Bible. Now, there's there are apparent contradictions in the Bible, but ask somebody who believes the Bible is full of contradictions if they even know where one is. Many times they don't even know. They just they're just you know repeating some line they've heard said. In every age, our God and the gospel will be under attack. It is our moment to defend the word of God and the gospel. This is our time in this city, at this place, to say Jesus is Lord and the word of God is his inspired truth. Don't bow. Don't bend. Don't budge. Believe. Who are those two men? I know you know one of them because... His name is there. <laughs> but you know the other one, too, because you've seen him so many times. Karl Marx and Charles Spurgeon. Do you know what's amazing, though? They lived at the same time. Even more amazing, they both lived in London, England at the same time. Marx had come from Germany, came to London in 1849, right when Spurgeon was rising to his renowned popularity as the prince of preachers, the largest church of his day. Isn't that amazing? I, I thought that was pretty amazing. So while Marx was promoting his destructive Marxist political views, Spurgeon was preaching the gospel of salvation, defending the word of God against unbelief in many different directions, even within his own Baptist, you know, he had to defend the word of God even within his own Baptist denomination. Do you know he was voted out of his Baptist denomination because of the spreading unbelief that was coming into the Baptist churches of England in his day? They voted him out. Anyway, that's another story. Look at this quote. German rationalism, Spurgeon said, German rationalism, which has ripened into socialism may yet pollute the mass of mankind and lead them to overturn the foundations of society. You say, wow, was Spurgeon preaching politics? <laughs> Let me ask you this. The story of Nebuchadnezzar. Is he a political leader? Is he a religious leader? <laughs> Does sometimes politics and religion, like, blend? Sometimes they do. And that's what we see here. And that's what we're seeing now in America. So think of that statement, though. German rationalism. Now, I don't know whether he was talking about Marx. Maybe he had Marx in his mind. I'm not sure. But I believe more than Marx, when he said German rationalism, 
has ripened into socialism. He's also related, uh, speaking about what was going on in Germany at that time, called higher criticism, was coming into the seminaries and into the pulpits of Europe and then ultimately into America. And you know what higher criticism is? It's an attack against the authority and the authorship of the different books of the Bible. German higher critics came along. This is the rationalism. German rationalism said, Daniel didn't write Daniel. Isaiah didn't write Isaiah. Moses didn't write the, the five books of the, the law, and on and on. And when you attack the author of the Bible, you attack the authority of the Bible. Because if, if, if Daniel wasn't written by Daniel, then it's not the word of God. It's not true. And so, and that's what these higher critics do. German rationalism, you know, when you take away faith in God, where people look to God and trust in him, what do they, what do they begin to trust for their help and their provision and to get them to what they want in life? Government. And that's what socialism really is, where government is in control of the beings and in, in control of the property, and we look to the government to provide for us. And that's where, where we're at today in America. As God has been moved out of our schools and out of our homes, and people are looking to government, and we hear all the time of the rising tide of socialism. It's because of American rationalism and unbelief. And Spurgeon saw that as polluting mankind. It might, these are political things we're talking about, Spurgeon even, in his day. But these are spiritual issues, deeply spiritual issues. Overturning the foundations of society. This is why churches like this were started. And this is why churches like this need to continue to exist and continue to, we need to try to start more churches. Church, independent Baptist, Bible-believing churches like this. You know why? Karl Marx. A rationalist, no doubt. He was an atheist. You know, Karl Marx hated God. We hear this now where there are Marxist movements ruling and controlling. We hear that our mayor was trained by Marxists, and he was. Marxists hate God. Karl Marx said, abolish eternal truth. This, is, this isn't political. This is spiritual. There's an attack against the word of God. Marx says, abolish all religion. All morality. Abolish the family. This is what we see today. Beloved, we have to stand up for the family. Stand up for the word of God. Stand up for Jesus Christ. We need to be strong. We cannot bow. Spurgeon's like a prophet. Don't you think? That's a prophetic type of statement. So let's move on quickly here to the third point. Just quickly. So we live under this pressure. We live by the principles of Scripture, and we have to live with perspective. With perspective. What's the perspective? We need a perspective that is shaped. Perspective is your outlook. How do you view life? How are we going to see things? We have to see a life shaped by our own faith, and we have to believe in what? God's infinite power. God is all-powerful, and he's all-wise. He has a wise plan. God will show his infinite power to you and his wise plan for you. Do you believe that? That's the perspective I want all of us to live by. God will show his infinite power 
to you, to you individually, to each of us. And he has a wise plan for all of our lives. So let's look at these verses. Verse 17. What were they certain of in verse 17? Can we read that verse together? It says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. Question. Were they confident and sure that God was powerful? Yeah. And no matter what happened, they were going to be delivered from Nebuchadnezzar. They were either going to be delivered through the fire or they were going to die in the fire. But either way, they would be delivered from Nebuchadnezzar. If they died, they wouldn't have, he would have no control over them. So he said, God's going to deliver us from your hand, if even by death or through the fire. And he did. God did it that way. He says, our God, notice that. And now here's your assignment for the week. Look up the verses that say God is able. Our God is able. Second Corinthians 9, 8. Our God is able to make all grace abound to you. Hebrews 2.18, our God is able to help those, succor them who are tested and tried. Jude 24, our God is able to keep you from falling. God is able. There's no, there's no quenching of his power. He's always infinite in power. And there's no inability with God. He's omnipotent. Amen? We have to believe in the power of God. And they did not question the power of God. But notice, they were certain of God's power. But what were they uncertain of? Look at the first three words of verse 18. What does it say? But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods. In other words, but if not, if not what? But if not what? But if we don't get delivered out of the fire, we're still not going to, we're still not going to bow. So in other words, they were certain about what God could do. He's all-powerful. They were uncertain about what God would do. They weren't certain that if they were thrown into the fire, they were going to live through that. I mean, who would be certain of that? <laughs> that would be unusual. But that did not lead them to doubt the power of God. And it did not question their loyalty to God. In other words, now listen, you guys seem a little bit tired today. Seen a few drooping eyes through the service. They never questioned the loyalty, their loyalty to God. They didn't, their deliverance from the fire was not made like the, the breaking point. In, in other words, they weren't telling God, God, we'll be loyal to you as long as you get us out of this. They were going to be loyal to God no matter, no matter what. They weren't dictating to God. They weren't demanding to God. God, you have to do it my way if you want me to be loyal to you. That's what I'm trying to say. They said, we're going to be loyal to you, God, because you are God. And you have a plan. And if your plan is for me to perish, what did Esther say? If I perish... I perish. And Job said, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him, no matter what. No matter what. Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So we might, 
not know, and none of us know the full plan or purpose of God of what is happening when we're in the middle of something. But God has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's working things out for his glory and our good. And we trust him in that. And so we remain loyal to God. Now look at those first three words of verse 18. What are the first three words? But if not. This is there, but if not. In other words, but if not, we're not going to worship you. We're not going to bow down. Look Look at Nebuchadnezzar's but if not up in verse 15. I've been saving this for now. Did you see his but if not in verse 15? He says, but if you worship not, there it is. But if we, if you worship not, you're going to be thrown in the fire. They're going to say, you throw us in the fire. And if God doesn't save us, that's his business. We'll be with him anyway. So that was Nebuchadnezzar's, but if not, and there, but if not, says we're not going to worship no matter what. So live with that perspective, beloved. Certain of God's power, even though we're uncertain with his plan, But we know this, and here's the verse. Can we say it together? When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, you even told your people, They were going to go through the waters and the rivers and the fires. And Isaiah had already written these words by the time Daniel had written his. These three young men may have known of those verses. Lord, they knew what you could do. They weren't sure what you would do, but they knew what you could do. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, God sees your heart today. Those of you who are on Zoom, those of you who are present here today, are you a Christian? Have you been saved? Have you believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross from your sin to save you from hell? That's what our sins have earned us, separation from God even in hell. He died one time. He took your sins. He took your hell. He died in our place. And then he rose again, showing there's victory over death. We don't have to die separated from God in hell. Are you saved? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, who would say, Pastor Matt, whether you're on Zoom or whether you're here, I want everyone to do this. I know I'm saved by the grace of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior who suffered for me. Can you put your hand up today? You know you're a child of God. Put your hand up to the Lord. Don't be ashamed. Even there at home, say, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't bow to the ways of the world. You didn't bend. You didn't budge. You went to the cross. You took the cross for me. And now, are you willing to take your cross for him? Are you willing to 
to stand for him, no matter the loss, no matter the cross, no matter the shame, no matter the suffering, you have to endure. Are you willing to stand even though the world bows? Put up your other hand to the Lord. You put up one, now I'm asking you to put up the other one and say, yes, Lord, I believe in you and I won't bow to the world for you, Lord, because you didn't do it. You stood for me, Lord. I'll stand for you. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. Beloved, we cannot deny the Bible's inspiration. We cannot deny Christ's lordship. We cannot deny the Holy Spirit's powerful indwelling. We cannot deny the call of the Great Commission on all of our lives to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We cannot deny the essentialness of church. All the world wants to tell us what's essential and what's not. Well, I'm here to say today, beloved, the church is essential. And the doors of the church, by His grace, are going to remain open. Because this nation needs churches to stand and not bow. Help us, Lord, to stand by Your power, to stand in Your wisdom, to stand by the power of Your gospel, to stand, Lord Jesus, because we have Your Holy Spirit, to, to live under this pressure of this world, to live by the, by the principles that are unchanging and righteous and live with a perspective, unswervingly believing in your wisdom and power. So help us, O oh Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.